Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. As you are being seated, children, you are now dismissed, and you can say hello to your neighbors if you'd like to. Uh, it's always nice to say hello to one another. If you uh, also have your pew pad, you can pass that uh, as well sometime during this time. But uh, we're going we're gonna to pray, and we are going to look at Jonah 2 together. Jonah 2 uh, is where we're going to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love once again. I can't come to prayer without thanking you for that. It is so remarkable, so amazing that you would love me, that you would love us. I pray that you will speak to us this morning, Holy Spirit, that as we open up your word, that we will encounter you, that we will not just add something to our mind to learn something, but that we will become someone new as we are transformed by your living and breathing word. In your name, amen. Amen. Some things in life just need to be encountered. We can go, walk through life and we can hear things like, you know, Venice Pizza has the best buffalo chicken pizza in Indiana. You can hear that, but it's not until you encounter it or you taste it that you know the truth. It's other things that we need to encounter in life. You can hear that going to a sports arena is a powerful, really great thing together as you cheer on your favorite team, but it's not until you encounter it that you really experience the truth. There's People can say love is great, and you can watch all the, the romance shows you want to or read all the romance novels you want to, but until you encounter real love, you don't really understand real love. And God's mercy is the very same way. We're going to be looking at Jonah's story and talking about encountering Mercy, because in this moment, Jonah encounters mercy, the mercy that only God can give. God's mercy is available to us. God's mercy spurs us on to mission, but often we fail to fully encounter God's mercy. We, fully, we, we don't fully grasp the understanding or the depth of God's mercy Many times in our discipleship, we are content to know about something, but we don't seek to encounter it. And so I want to challenge you this morning, as we open up to Jonah 2, that you will have a desire to encounter God's mercy. Because we're going to be looking at the question, how can we encounter the Lord's mercy? It's not just about our minds. It's about our hearts, allowing God to speak deeply to our soul, not just to our brains. As we come to Jonah 2, you'll notice that the background of this, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is Jonah is the reluctant missionary. We're talking about missions and we're seeing that God called Jonah to a cross-cultural mission and he runs away. He allowed his own bias, his own disgust for the Ninevites to cause him to go the opposite way of what God was calling him to. 
And you see at the end of Jonah 1 that he was hurled overboard because there was a storm at sea. His sin, his issues, his running away was causing trouble for other sailors on the boat. And the storm was huge. And he said, the only way is for you to throw me overboard. And so they did. They threw him overboard. And at the end of Jonah 1, we see that he was swallowed by a giant fish. I believe that as we look at Jonah's story in Jonah 2, that we will see five keys to encountering the Lord's mercy. Five keys that Jonah shows us in his life of encountering God's mercy that you and I can add to our own lives. And the first key that we see is the key of prayer. We are to prioritize prayer and His presence as you also avoid pity parties. Prioritize prayer and His presence as you also avoid pity parties. Jonah 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So the very first thing as we see this unfolding in his life, Jonah is in the belly of a fish and he prays. What's interesting is that the sailors who were pagan on the boat in chapter 1 encouraged him to pray in the middle of the storm, and he didn't. Remember, rather than repent in that moment, he would rather die. So they threw him overboard, the storm was calm, and God had a different plan for Jonah than death and swallowed him in the belly of the fish. So here we see Jonah, we don't know if it was the three days right before he was spit out, or we don't know if it was the very beginning, but Jonah began to pray because he realized his own insufficiency. He realized that he needed the Lord. He realized that this issue was because of his own mess. If you look at the story of Jonah, it's really interesting because the word down consistently defines the trajectory of Jonah's life. You'll see in the beginning, he went down to Joppa, down on the ship, down into the depths of the ship, down into the belly of a great fish, and now he finds himself going down to the depths of the ocean. His whole trajectory is down. We should learn from Jonah that we don't want to go down. We want to remain up. We want to be with the Lord. But Jonah was stubborn. Jonah was one of those guys that looks at his own stuff and is like, I'm fine. I just would rather die. I don't want to do what God wants me to do because I am so against God's mercy for those people. But we'll see in a moment that he's more than willing to accept God's mercy for himself. He's more than willing to say that, yes, the mercy of God is for my own people, not for other people. But his heart is beginning to change because he prays. A commentator named Smith says this, that this prophet of few words finally prayed marks a turning point in the book. Although exhorted to pray earlier by the pagan captain, there is no indication Jonah did so then. That Jonah prayed not only to the Lord as the sailors did, but to the Lord his God is significant. Here we see Jonah's heart turning back towards the Lord. He calls him Yahweh, which means the Lord my God. It is the most intimate name for the Jews to utilize in prayer for the, to the Lord. And here he employs that word. He's recognizing that the Lord is his God. He's coming to a place of recognition that I need to turn to him. I have no other 
place to turn. And so he turns in prayer. Warren Wearsley does say, however, his prayer was born out of affliction, not affection. He cried out to God because he was in danger, not because he delighted in the Lord, but better that he should pray compelled by any motive than not to pray at all. Jonah was beginning to break down. I think if you were swallowed by a giant fish, you would probably be in the same place as Jonah, realizing that all of my decisions up to this point have brought me to this low, low place. And it doesn't have to be the belly of a fish or the, the lowest moments of time that we pray. Prayer should be our first action, not our last. So Jonah's story, it shows us a negative example of pursuing after God's mercy because he waits until he's absolutely at his end before he prays. You and I, we don't have to be at our end before we pray. The CMA has a very great statement that I often remind us of because it's so important as believers. And the CMA states this, prayer is the primary work of God's people. Prayer is the primary work of God's people. It's what we do first. We can't encounter God's mercy without going to the Lord in prayer, hearing what God is saying over us in his merciful love. We can't go on mission to do what God is calling us to do without prayer, asking the Lord to empower us. How often do we try to do things in our own power? I know that I do it often. I think I have what it takes. I think I know what I'm doing. I think I have the right trajectory. But when I do that without prayer, it's always going to mess up. It's always going to trip me up somehow, some way. I'm not going to see what God has for me unless I listen to what he's saying. Prayer is primary. How often are we spending time in prayer? Are we going to our knees before the end of ourselves, where we're going out of affection, not out of affliction? Are we going with a desire, not out of fear of destruction? Go there first. The second key is the key of destruction, because we need to realize our desires will lead us to death and destruction. Look at what Jonah says as he's praying. So he's praying now to the Lord, and he states this in Jonah 2, verses 2 through 3, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah, in this moment of prayer, is confessing his realization that his desires, his moving away from God's mission and onto his own mission has brought him to this place of being in the depths of the ocean, inside the belly of a whale or a fish. Many people believe it's a whale. We see this transpiring in his life where he's confessing that not only is he aware of his situation, but he knows that he created this situation. He looks at God and he says, I know that this storm was from you. I know that these billows and these waves and this fish were from you. I know that you brought this on me because of what I brought upon myself. That you are the one who created these moments, this storm, this time, bringing me low 
was because of my own sin. Our desires, outside of what God is desiring for us, outside of prayer, what we want for ourselves in our flesh, will always lead us to destruction. You and I will not recognize and encounter mercy unless we realize we need mercy. The greatest lie that is going on around, even in theologian circles, is this idea that we were created with inherent goodness. We were not created with inherent goodness. The Bible speaks to the very beginning of our birth, we are sinful. Look at a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum and you'll say, yeah, that's inherently sinful, that child. Right? Me too. I am. We're inherently sinful. There is nothing good within us because we are born into sin. And we need to remember that. In order for us to receive and encounter the mercy of God, we have to come to a place where we realize we need the mercy of God because we cannot do it on our own. Coming to a place of honesty where our desires we recognize will only lead us to destruction. Timothy Keller about this passage says, Jonah's prayer recognized that you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Jonah knew that there was divine justice and that he deserved it. You and I, because of our sinful nature, deserve death. That's a hard thing to to say, especially for many people today. I deserve death because of my sin. No, I'm a good person. No. In and of ourselves, we are not good people. The only way that we can live the Christian life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God to empower us, direct us, guide us, and lead us. You cannot live the Christian life outside of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because in and of yourself, you deserve destruction. But Christ, in His love and mercy, died so that you and I can have access to salvation and that's the beauty of the gospel that we deserve death but someone took our place when storms arise and waves crash against us it is not always because of our sin but somewhere along the way the things that happen in life that are bad and destructive there is sin that's attached to it somewhere Someone else's sin coming against us, sin that had happened in the past that is now creating this horrible situation. We even see that in the garden when sin transpired, all of creation was affected because of sin. We have hurricanes and storms and tornadoes. All of that we see was never meant to be a part of creation, but it is because of sin. Sin affects everything. But there are some times where our sin causes the storms that we see swirling around us and we look at God and we get bitter how often do we yell and say you know Lord this isn't my fault why are you doing this why are you letting this happen rather than repenting sometimes not always sometimes things around us are going poorly because of our sinful decisions and like Jonah we have to confess it and we have to repent and turn back to the Lord, in order to see those storms calmed. And here's the thing. The world needs the message that they need mercy. The world needs the message. This is why we send out missionaries, not to just do nice things for people that need help, 
but to proclaim the reality that we need the mercy of God. I need the mercy of God, and you need the mercy of God. And when we encounter the mercy of God, we will want to share the mercy of God. Which leads me to the third key, and that's the key of desperation. When we have nothing left, we realize He's all we need. Jonah 2, 4-7 through says, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. And then Psalm 42, 1, one of my favorite, favorite passages of Scripture. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Here, Jonah realized he was at the end of himself that he could not get himself out of this fish, that he could not get himself out of this situation. And after he had finally seen everything erased from his life, where he was at the end, where he realized, if I don't repent, I will die, he realized that God was all he needed. We said this idea of the prayer and God's presence. It says in Jonah 1 that he arose and went away from the presence of God. His choice to walk away from God's presence, had he gone into and remained in God's presence, he would have gone to Nineveh with obedience. Often we walk in disobedience for so long until we come to the end of ourselves. My friends, we don't have to hit rock bottom in order to turn to the Lord. Allow the Spirit of God to bring conviction, to turn at the moment of your thought life that begins in sin. Before you even do anything, return to his presence. Get back into the the mode of prayer. We don't have to get to rock bottom. Jonah, if he would have just obeyed in Jonah 1, wouldn't have had to experience this moment of losing everything. Here we see that he's so desperate for God. He uses prison language, and it's really intense in the Hebrew, where he says, I'm in distress, this is deep, I'm cast, I'm surrounded, passed over, driven away, closed in, wrapped, closed upon. He uses these languages, he's so trapped. I mean, obviously he's in the belly of a fish, and all he sees is fish guts everywhere, right? You would feel pretty trapped yourself. But it's not just the symbolism of where he is, it's where he knows internally he is as well. And so he cries out to the Lord, and isn't it beautiful that the Lord hears his cry? Even this this really stupid guy who thought he could run away from God, is like, I know who God is, but I'm going to run away from him because I'm bigger than God. He knew it's deep down that he couldn't run away from God. But here he is in disobedience, almost killing other people because of his sin. God still hears his cry. God listens to his heart. Timothy Keller, quoting another, says, Peter Gregge writes that when we reject and disobey God as Jonah did, it takes radical treatment if it is to be remedied. But not until he was all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency, was deliverance possible for Jonah. Jonah had to be completely broken to admit he was wrong. 
Jonah should have turned to the Lord earlier, but the Lord still heard his cry. I want to encourage you. Cry out to the Lord for freedom when you're trapped in a prison of your own sin. God's mercy is available to you. The enemy would love to say, you've done too much. Don't go to him. The enemy would love to say, you know what, you're not worthy of God's mercy. The enemy would love to get us stuck in a place of secrecy, of darkness, of sin, of hiddenness, where we just go inward and just don't tell anyone about what's going on. We need to cry out to him. There is mercy and freedom. And when you really experience the mercy of God in the midst of those areas that you know you are completely in disobedience, in utter sin, that you need God's salvation, when He brings it to you, you will encounter mercy. You will experience mercy on a level of not just knowing that something tastes good, but actually tasting it. This idea of as the deer pants for the waters and our soul longing for God, that should be our constant cry, not just our cry in the desperation moments. But when we find ourselves in the quagmire of sin, we need to cry out to the Lord. In the garden, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they ran away and hid from God. But God pursued them. And he said, where are you? And they confessed, we ran away because of our sin. But then God does something remarkable. He clothes them with animal skins. God wants to clothe you. He heard Jonah's cry. He will hear your cry. The fourth key is the key of love. And we need to accept the patient, long-suffering, steadfast love of the Lord. Jonah 2, 8 through 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah was trapped, but he remembered God's goodness. He talks about idols, and when we are in the midst of idols, we lose hope of God's steadfast love. We forget of God's steadfast love. Now, I'm sure that Jonah was thinking of the pagan idols of the Ninevites, but he also was erecting an idol of himself and his own desires within his heart, realizing that my hope is not in myself, not in my thoughts and my ideas of the Ninevites and God's mission of mercy, but I'm defined by the steadfast love of the Lord. We can experience God's mercy because of God's love. And that idea of love, we see the word chesed, where he uses this steadfast love. The only other translation that we can come close to in Greek is agape, which is this deeply committed love. But this chesed meant such a deep thing to the Hebrews. It was such a deep word that really translates to patient, long-suffering, and steadfast. God puts up with us. Praise the Lord, amen? God puts up with us. And Jonah is confessing that you love me and you put up with me even when I walk in stupidity. I 
claim the love of God. The enemy wants to tell you that you cannot receive the love of God. But God's chesed is available to you because Christ died. Because we can turn away and repent and confess our sins, we can turn to a God who loves us, who has arms wide open, ready to embrace us, to whisper into our hearts and our souls, I love you. Even though you're kind of crazy, even though you've been kind of stupid, even though you've been kind of disobedient, even though, even though, even though, I love you. But we have to accept it. We have to turn away from our disobedience and our own destruction, our own desires, and turn to Him. I don't care where you're at in life right now or what you've done. Turn to Him. Embrace the love that led Christ to the cross. Keller says of chesed, it is a key biblical word often translated as steadfast love or grace. It refers to the covenant love of God. It takes the whole prayer of Jonah to get there, to a declaration about God's grace. But when he does, he is released back into the land of the living. Because as soon as he recognizes and remembers the steadfast love of the Lord, he is saved. My friends, you and I, we are sinful beings. And we need the chesed of the Lord. We need to confess and repent of our sins and turn to the Lord and ask for his salvation. And just like Jonah was saved from the belly of the whale, you and I will be saved by the grace and the mercy and the goodness of the Lord. If you're walking and thinking, man, I'm not really that bad of a person, I want you to read Ephesians 2 tonight, where you look at where you walked in life and where you were before Christ and remember the mercy and remember the encounter of mercy that you had at the moment of your salvation. Because there was a moment, if you're saved, where you recognize your need of mercy when you encountered the loving chesed of God and turned to mercy. Christ died for us in our sins. He truly is our Savior. And He did so because of His great love. Allow that truth, allow that truth to wash over you this morning. And when we talk about mission, you and I will not want to give mercy until we encounter mercy. Jonah had already experienced a national mercy when God had saved them from their own sins. Here he's experiencing the mercy of God for himself. And the fifth key is the key of second chances. Step into your second chance with the strength of his mercy. Verse 10 simply says, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. God answered his prayer and brought him salvation. 
He encountered the Lord's mercy. Now, we know that when we look at chapter 4 in Jonah 4, he was still a whiny baby that God did exactly what he said God was going to do. He was still frustrated that God offered mercy to the Ninevites because he didn't really allow the fullness of God's mercy to encounter his own heart. Do not make the mistake of Jonah. Encounter the entirety of God's mercy and recognize that the entire world needs to hear the message of mercy. But you cannot encounter God's mercy unless you recognize your own need for mercy. And when you recognize your own need for mercy, you will see that the world needs God's mercy and you will want to be on mission for Jesus. Because the world needs God's mercy. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are a merciful God, knowing our own mess, our own sin, our own stuff. May we see ourselves aright and recognize our need for your mercy. And may we accept the chesed that you have for us and walk as people who have been given mercy. And may we be people who then offer mercy and go on a mission of mercy. In your holy and precious name, amen.